Welcome to another leadership podcast from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Um, we're in this awesome series entitled Identity, talking about the idea that God spoke you into existence. The moment of in- inception, of conception. God was there present and spoke into your DNA like he spoke, as Corey talked about, into the, into the earth and created it for purpose. God spoke at that moment of that biological reaction as you were conceived. He was there and he put his purpose into your wiring and his hopes, his dreams, his future. And that is your identity. As we take a look through scripture and as we t- take a look through this series, you we begin to discover that our identity is challenged at every step. But leaning in and knowing who you are will set you free to be able to pursue what God has for you with all good confidence. If you follow along at the beginning of the message, you want my copy of my notes, you can use the QR code there. Um, I want to go ahead and I wanna read you this scripture. Phenomenal piece of, uh, of scripture. I didn't write it, it's God's book, he wrote it. Uh, but I think it's so incredibly valuable. It says there in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. Anybody here, you ever been distressed? Maybe you're distressed right now. Things going on in your world that have pushed down upon you. Well, David, in this case, had just come back from, actually was trying to go to war but couldn't, and as he came back and arrived in his temporary home place, his family was gone, his possessions are gone, Everything's wiped out. He's got his men with him. Their families are gone. Their tents are gone. Everything's been wiped out, and they're standing there. And this is not the first bad thing that's happened to them. And the Bible says David was greatly distressed for his men, not just the people, but his men, talk about stoning him. Old Testament corporal punishment, like, that's it. We're going to crush you with rocks. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters who were missing. But check this out. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself. David spoke to himself in a way that moved him from the reality of the difficult circumstances. He spoke to himself in a way that included the promises of God, which was not here, but moved him to over to this spot. He knew that what was going on was not what God had for him, but his heart was stuck there. He was distressed. His circumstances were there. But in order to move from this spot, he had to move his who he was away from that to what God had promised. And God had promised far more than what he was experiencing. And so I've entitled this message. I know it's crazy, but um, the... Let me get this to work. The power of self-talk. Around my house, you will hear people talking with no one answering. I say it's the most intelligent conversation that I have during the day. Um, some would debate that. It's literally talking to myself. You know, Rowena does it all the time. They say that the smartest people talk to themselves. And I don't know if that's a fact, but I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to roll with that. Who here, are you, you talk to yourself a little bit. There is a biblical value in doing that. And so let's go ahead. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person in this room. Lord, they 
each of us, we find ourselves in difficult spots. There are going to be moments, if not right now, where it's challenging. Maybe nobody's talking about stoning us, but the circumstances are whispering, I'm going to wipe you out. It's all going to crumble away. And Father, in those moments, there is a discipline that is able to kick in for the life of the believer who understands this process to speak back to the voices that would declare something less than God's very best over their life. And so I pray, Lord, tonight that the, the light switch will come on, that the understanding will kick into gear for those who don't understand how this works, Lord, to shift your set themselves out of the bottom of the barrel to the process of stepping into what you have for them. And so, Lord, I pray for your blessings over your people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everyone said amen and amen. You can be seated. Come on, you excited about this? The power of self-talk, okay? Um, there are some unbiblical ideas about self-talk, but I want to talk about the biblical ideas of self-talk. Just because you talk to yourself doesn't mean it changes your situation. You could say, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical concepts tonight, about declaring the truth of God to the thing you're experiencing that is not the will of God to shift yourself over into what God really has for you. This has been a, a quote that we've been kind of using and altering all throughout this series, but your biblical identity, in other words, what God says about you, what God, who God says you are, that's your biblical identity. Now, there's a perceived identity, which you might have, which is not your biblical identity. But it's that process of all the experiences and all the things people have said to you over the years that, you've, that aren't true, but you've believed, or you failed at something, so you just decided you're a failure. And those create a perceived identity. And what I found for most people is before you, you have a relationship with God, your perceived identity is about... 25 to 30 degrees off of the biblical identity that God, of who God says you are. And one of the great things about becoming a believer, about following Jesus, is Jesus, he wants you to discover his identity and your identity because when those two things aligned, man, the kingdom of God comes into your life and you begin to experience amazing things. Um, your biblical identity will forever be under attack by the voices in life arguing a lesser version of you than God created. And it, it begins at a very young age. There have been some trauma, some experiences that you've had, maybe growing up in a home that was less than best. Maybe you had a missing family member or somebody who was there that would, probably would have been better if they weren't in the condition they were, but regurgitating an untruth over your life. But as a small child, hearing that, seeing that, or being fearful of that, that began to build something in you that kept you from being who God created you to be. I love it when children at a young age, they have great things going on in their life and, and they win and they succeed and they're encouraged by the people in their world. But the reality is many of you didn't grow up that way. So there are many young girls in junior high school, high school, some of the most beautiful young ladies you've ever seen, but in their mind, they've bought into this idea that they're not pretty. And they begin to do things to the, themselves that aren't improvements, but it's because they're, they're trying to to somehow bring about beauty that is already there, but they can't see it because somebody has been in their ear telling them, you're fat, 
or you're too short, or your legs are too big, or your eyes aren't the right color, or you're stupid, or you're dumb, or nobody's ever going to like you. Not that you've ever heard any of this ever before, right? I'm talking about other people, and so I'm just wasting my time talking about this. But that's what happens to people when they're younger. Or maybe there's an event that happened to you as a small child, and maybe somebody left, and there was that fear of people leaving you, And so you walk around with this view of yourself that I am somebody that people are ultimately going to leave. And so maybe I'll just sabotage my relationships to get it over with quicker. There are a lot of lies that we all walk around and believe about ourselves. I actually believed, I don't know where I got this as a kid, but there was a better foot than the other one. And if position just just right, that was a better looking foot. So when I got new shoes, like anytime I want to show off my shoe, I mean, I had to position it correctly so you would see the good view of my shoe. Like, what second grader should be worried about that? But that's what I dealt with. And these things happen in micro moments, like real small, quick things. Like somebody's like, oh, where, where'd you get that sweater? Or, oh, did you, did you change your hair? Oh, are those bangs supposed to be that way? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Did you put on a little bit of weight? Are you pregnant? What happened to your hair, Pastor Steve? Heard that just this evening. Hmm. Coming after you. Um, Or there's the macro moments. Like it's not just a whisper. It's not just a joking statement. But it's a traumatic situation that happens over a period of time. For a lot of you, this last couple of years have been incredibly traumatic. Things that have come your way. Things that you've fought against. Things that have been spoken over you. You're not a loving person. You're not a kind person. You're not... You're not what a Christian should be. You want to go to church. You should not want to do that. All the things that you've maybe been through in the last couple of years. There's macro seasons. I, I, I've got, as I look back across my life, different key moments. They're macro moments. And I, when I really look at them, they were big pushes to try to adjust my perception of myself and therefore my experience to keep me from becoming the person that God wanted me to be. I remember working in a church in a situation where my time there was coming to an end, and I got a phone call unexpectedly from someone, I lived on the East Coast, someone out here on the West Coast, inviting me to consider a job opportunity up north, and it was a much bigger church, much bigger youth group, and I didn't make the phone call, I wasn't looking for a job, but the director in our denomination called me up and said, Steve, this would be perfect for you, would you like to consider it? And I talked with Rowena, and so we began to consider it. Um, and then I was approached by my boss at that time, and he said, hey, are you, are you, are you trying to leave? And I said, well, we've already talked about us being, coming to the end here. I have to find a new place to go. He said, but are you considering going there? I says, well, I didn't, I didn't fill out an application or anything. They called me up. He's like, uh, that's, that's not going to work out. I was like, oh, it, it's not. Now, what I didn't know was his son was also applying for that job, and I really didn't know his son. Um, And so over the next couple of weeks, he actually mentioned to me, Steve, you're up against like people with a lot more experience and who who are more seasoned and don't set your heart on that because that's really, it's not going to work out. Well, guess what? It did work out and I moved to the Pacific Northwest. Um, But there will be even voices of people close to you at times who don't intend to be used by the devil, but they are. Can I just say it like that? And don't, don't be like, oh, because you've been used by the devil before in other people's lives as well. 
Well, not me, Pastor Steve. Oh, check your pulse. You get a pulse? You've been used by the devil before. You've said some things that you didn't realize but were inflamed by hell and really hurt someone, and so it's also happened to you. There will be forever voices that will want to attack your life, get in your ear, and argue a lesser version of you than, than God created you for. Um, David was actually attacked endlessly by voices arguing a lesser version of him than God intended. Now, you'll know him, uh, the story of David. He has seven brothers. Uh, his dad was in the agricultural business, also in the farming business. His brothers all being older than him. Actually had two sisters that were also older than him. But when he was 15 years old, an unusual thing happened. The nation of Israel had their very first king. His name was Saul. And something happened that David did not know about, but the prophet who would actually anoint, they didn't vote for the king. They, the king was appointed by God. God appointed Saul. He was established as the new first king of all of Israel. And something was going on behind the scenes. And the prophet Samuel showed up at David's home. David wasn't there when he showed up. But the knock came from Samuel on the door. Samuel steps in and says, hey, I need to talk with you. God's led me here. I want you to bring your sons across. I want, I want to be able to see your sons. And the oldest son came across, and Samuel looked at him. He was tall. He was handsome. He was strong. And Samuel thought to himself, surely this is, this is the next king. This is going to be the guy. And as he went to pour his oil, which was a symbol of God's choosing over this oldest brother, God said, mm, don't look at his appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And so he said, ah, oh, he's not the one. Do you have another son? He asked the father. And so all of the sons were paraded by. And then the prophet standing there is like, God has said that none of these are, do you have another son? And so he said to the father, the father responded and said, yes, I have one more son. He's the youngest. He's scrawny. He's out with the cattle. He's out with the sheep. We'll go get him. And in the moment that David walks in as a 15-year-old boy, God speaks to Samuel, the prophet, and says, that's the next king. And so David, in front of everyone in the home, awkward moment, you walk in, you're coming in from the sheep, you smell like the field, there's this prophet you've heard of, you're standing before him, you're terrified, it's the man of God, what does he want me for? And he begins to dump quarts of oil over your head, and everybody's staring in awe, and you have no, no clue as to why. And you discover that you've just been, as a 15-year-old boy, God has just spoken through the prophet, that you will be the next king. Now, there's a question. There's, there already is a king. I'm the next king? I'm 15 years old. I don't have my driver's license yet. I haven't kissed a girl yet. I, I've, I've, I fought with a bear and I fought with a lion, which is way beyond my, my pay grade, but I, I've, I've not been on a date yet. I don't know how to sign up for any online social media. It's not, they haven't been invented yet, so I'm going to be the next king? And so then the brothers staring at David and all of the other voices in his life begin to assemble and they attack his life one at a time for the next years because it's not until he's 30 years old that he takes over as king. But some of the voices he experienced were the voice of his brothers, these same brothers that watched him be anointed as king. How many of you have a younger brother or sister? Okay. I mean, for them to be chosen as king and not you, let's be honest, that can't be God, right? You know your younger brother, your younger sister. Listen, that character should never be king. We all know that. And yet, 
God chose the younger one. So the brothers, when they watched David show up on the battlefield one day, a few months later, you got Goliath who's out there, a nine-foot-tall giant. David shows up and like, what's going on with that giant? Isn't anybody going to fight that giant? In 1 Samuel 17, the oldest brother Eliab heard David asking these questions and he starts to mock David. He starts saying, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those little few sheep in the wilderness, supposed king? I know that you've come down here just to run your mouth is basically what he says. Opposition from his brothers. You ain't no king. In fact, you ain't even no warrior. He experienced then opposition from Goliath. He goes out to fight this giant. And you know the story. He's, he whips his stone and sinks it into the forehead of the giant and then cuts the giant's head off with a sword. But before he does that, Goliath stands up and looks down at this 15, maybe 16 years old now, boy, and he looks him in the eye and then he looks around at the crowd and he says, am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? He's talking about David. This little piddly, skinny little boy here, what's he gonna do to me? What, come on, this kid doesn't amount to anything. I am Goliath. And you know the rest of the story. How intimidating would it be to have a nine-foot man screaming down your face and calling you what you really are, a puny child, yet speaking against the will of God? Eventually, David's own king, who he's going to secede, uh, begins to push back with his voice against David's life. And we read all throughout Scripture, this happens many, many times, but one key time after they were partnered together and they go into battle and they kill a bunch of the enemy, they're coming back into town and everybody's celebrating because King Saul has won a great victory, but David had like really killed a lot of people in battle. And some people had already heard and they're already singing, they've created a song about this battle and they begin to sing it. And as Saul and David are walking in on the street, the words go like this. It says, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh, man. And so the king hears those words and it causes him to look at David and not be thankful for all that David has done. Believe it or not, there will be people who see the future that God has for you and they will despise you for it. And it's because they got their eyes on the wrong thing. I mean, Saul should have been thanking God that God chose him to be king. And instead of being, see, here's the thing is, Saul doesn't know who he is. He's having identity dysphoria. Because here God has established him as king. We talked about this last week. God has spoken, Saul, you are the king. And yet he's worried about who the next king is going to be. You know, you know, there's going to be somebody who follows you at some point. So while you're on the top of the mountain, whether it's in, in real estate or in landscaping or singing or, or working out or whatever it is that you do, if, while you're on the top, there's going to be somebody that's going to come and replace you, as it should be. Somebody's going to take over in the library. Somebody's going to take your spot next year on the soccer team. Somebody's going to, when you retire, they're going to take over your position at the school. Somebody's going to take over for you in the mill. It's going to happen, and it should happen, and it's okay. But if you know who you are, as long as you stand in your spot that God has spoken, you're secure. In fact, you should celebrate the successes of other people. In fact, Saul should be standing up. If I was Saul, you know what I would think to myself? This kid came to me when he was 15 years old, and I've trained a warrior who has just slain thousands, tens of thousands. 
I mean, really, David's victory is Saul's master victory. But Saul's not confident in who he is because he doesn't really have a relationship with God. And I keep saying it over and over. When you discover who God is, then you'll discover who you are. Because God will reveal that. And so Saul hears a little bit of potential competition. David was not competition. But because Saul was not confident, he was not secure, he was insecure, always worried about, what as soon as he hears this song, it causes him to despise David. And so he starts trying to kill his replacement. God told you you're king, you're king, don't worry about it. But he was worried about it. There's a voice of his wife. David had to deal with a spouse. He's uh, one day after some great victories, a great big celebration with the entire community, and he's worshiping God. He's dancing before God. He doesn't take all of his clothes off and strip down naked and run through the streets. He takes off his outer garment and he celebrates, but he's jumping and, and hopping like we were tonight. And be like, wow, what are those people doing jumping around? Listen, I have seen you at football games, and let me tell you something bunch of sweaty men out there in the middle of the field and you're jumping up and down. I'm going to jump up and down for God, okay? Just going to tell you. That's how it's going to be. And one of the reasons why I, I jump around, my gym's closed on Saturday and Sunday, and so I want to get my full, get my money's worth, right? And plus it's a competition because if you jump, I'm going to jump higher than you. And if you jump higher, I'm going to jump higher than you. And I'm going to jump faster than you, and then we're going to get a workout, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to be good, okay? Ha. Huh. But his wife looked down and despised him for, oh, be more dignified than that. And she, she told him that he's, he was a fool. Telling a man who God is honoring that he's a fool, she's speaking against who he is. You'll have those voices. There's going to be some people in your life, for as long as you have a pulse, that are going to push back on your love for God. And that doesn't mean you turn around and attack them back. But if you look at the story, what ends up happening to his, his wife, Michael, the Bible says that she never has children. And it's an imagery for you that there's going to be people who will come against the things that God has for your life. It's not that you want this for them, but they ultimately are coming against you because they're barren. They see something in you that they desire that they don't realize they can have also. So be that type of person that when somebody's hurling those insults at you, condemning you, challenging you, oh, what kind of Christian are you? Don't give up on them. Don't write them off. Don't cancel them. Continue to be you. Continue to be loving towards them because there's going to come a moment where that outward facade that's hard is going to crack. And then they're going to ask you to, and give you the opportunity to push in the reason for your hope. And it will come if you're patient, if you don't cancel them. Well, the voice of his neighbors were similar. How about the voice of his closest friends? We're reading that here in uh, the book of 1 Samuel where he goes out to war and he comes back and he's standing there and his, his wife is gone, his kids are gone, his tent is gone, all of his guys and his, his, his uh, army, their stuff is all gone. And these guys have been through so much at this point that they start talking about, you know, this is, this, that's it, David, that's it. That's it. Listen, I've been with you up right up until this point, but this is it. This is too far. Now it's costing me everything. You ever have those conversations? Probably a couple times. That's it. This is where we're done. And so David is facing that. He's facing the words of his friends. And this is so powerful. But David at that moment, in all that he's experiencing, the voice of his experience, the voice of his friends, 
the voice of his king, the voice of his neighbors, the voice of his brothers, the voice of his wife, all pushing him down. And I love what it says here. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, a couple things it does not say. Um, this word encouraged is the word kazak, which means to grow strong, to become strong, or to strengthen yourself, but it's done by words. It's speaking in a way that gives strength and courage. Now, what doesn't happen, David didn't pray for God to encourage him. That's how most of us would handle the situation. I'm doing so bad. God, please, please encourage me. And that would be great, but that's not what he does. He also didn't pray that while he's praying that somehow now my prayer will make me supernaturally encouraged. He didn't pray uh, for God to encourage him. God didn't encourage him. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And it wasn't like, because mm, it's not, you know, let, let me think happy thoughts. Let me, let me try to morph mm, in, into a better situation. I picture it like this. It's, it's a violent, out-of-body experience. It's looking at yourself there just being under the impact of the circumstance, under the impact of everything that everybody is saying, and reaching down and grabbing yourself by the collar and pushing yourself up and beginning to tell truth to yourself. It's lifting yourself out of the lies of what you're experiencing and proclaiming what is God saying about you in reality. It's speaking louder than all the other voices to yourself so that you can shift your perspective. It would be great if your friends would encourage you. It would be great if suddenly you felt encouraged. David would have longed for God just to speak out of the heavens. But 99% of the time in real life for all of us, that's not going to happen. It didn't happen for David there. David saw himself... He was in despair, and he, he exercised a discipline that is one of the most valuable tools in the life of a believer, the ability to speak truth to yourself, to pull yourself out of the deception, to be able to see things for how they really are. It's to speak the promises of God louder than the lies you're hearing in your ears. I don't know about you, but I hear lots of garbage rattling around my head all day long. Some of it's little stuff. Some of it's you're, you're, not, you're, you're showing off the ugly side of your shoe. But some of it's other stuff. You're not going to win. You're not going to succeed. It's all going to crash and burn. They're, that person's going to leave you. They're going to reject you. Nobody's going to like this. It's all going to fall apart. You're going to put a lot of effort into it, and it's going to evaporate. Lies that you probably hear as well. Amen? Anybody? Or am I just talking to myself? Uh, so David encourages himself, and this is just such a powerful truth. Through the spoken word, and here's the key, it's spoken. It's not thought. It's not whispered. It is, I would, I would argue, it is declared. His men probably thought he was a lunatic at that moment. Come on, get some rocks. I said no. It's not going to, what's, who's he talking to? Get some rocks. What? What's David doing? David is like standing there. They're all rallying around to get some rocks. Let's kill him. No, it's not going to work this way. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what my wife says. Well, I do. I'm talking on behalf of David at this moment. 
My wife says good things. Um, it's not going to end here. What's been stolen is not going to be uh, kept away from you. It's going to be redeemed. God promised someday you'll be the head and not the tail. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say there wasn't going to be any problems, but it doesn't end here. I've already heard from God. I know what the word of God says. Someday you will be king, and I am not king yet. It does not stop here today. There are still things that are coming down the road. And they're like, who is he talking to? You know who he's talking to? He's talking to himself. And sometimes you've got to remind yourself what God says. Sometimes you've got to remind your circumstance what God says. Sometimes you've got to remember, you've got to, you've got to inform or remind the people giving you lies what God says. Sometimes you've just got to remind the whole world what God says because the whole world feels like it's against you. And so David speaks out through the spoken word David was able to move himself from the lie of what his experience was telling him to the truth of what God said should be. And if you hear those voices like, man, you're the worst husband on the planet. She's not going to love you forever. She's going to discover at some point she married an idiot. You ever heard that bounce around? No raises of hands? I mean, the truth is, well, every guy's a little bit of an idiot at least. I mean, that's, that's why we had to get married because we'd probably end up dying on our own couch, wouldn't forget to eat. But, but the truth is, God has spoken your identity from the moment you were born. And as a married man, God has spoken that you will be an excellent husband, that you will love and be loved, that you will serve and be served, that you will honor and be honored. And you might not be what you need to be yet, but that doesn't mean that God is not pushing you to become that person. Amen? And sometimes you have to remind yourself, I may not be who I need to be yet, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to believe God. God says that I will become that thing and I'm going to partner with him. Because the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You know how he's most effective? He's a liar. The Bible says when he opens his mouth, all he does is speak lies. He's the father of lies. And so all that bouncing around in your head is him using other people, him using circumstances to speak against the truth of what he has said. And if you could have this tattooed like on your forehead. This would be good. Backwards so that when you look into the mirror, through the spoken word, David was able. He was able. I, here's a question for you. Have, have you gotten to the spot where you, you're talking to yourself? Have you gotten to the spot where you're shifting yourself? Because sometimes, and this is okay, we rely on church to shift us. And I think that that's, that's a valuable part of being part of a church family. We rely on our brothers and our sisters to shift us. And listen, I've had to lean on this. This is so valuable to me. But I'm telling you, there are, there are key moments where there's not going to be enough friends. There's not going to be enough church, search, church, uh, church gatherings. There's not going to be enough people, books to read that are encouraging. There's just going to be some moments where you got to lock down and say, I need to do what David did. I need to speak to the soul of who I am and speak the truth and pull myself up out of this deception and declare what God has said so that I have the right perspective to take the next step. Because if you buy into the lie, it affects where you put your next footstep. I'm just telling you. You have to make decisions. Your feet will carry you places. And if you're believing lies, they will carry you wrong places. You know what will end up happening? If you don't have the confidence that God is with you, going to help you to be a great spouse, you will actually step in wrong directions and sabotage it yourself. You'll do it. Oh, man. I just, I, I knew I was going to blow this thing up. 
No, you believed the lie that you would blow it up. You believed that you would fail. You believed that you would not win. You believed the lie that you can't be somebody great. Do you, I, I was powerful moment. Um, I won't tell you about it. <laughs> Sorry. It'll get me off a, on a tangent. Uh, proof that David did this often. Psalm number 42, verses 5 through 6. He says this. He is writing this psalm, but you understand the psalms are his written words. It's, his, it's basically his journal. And so David says this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you understand that he's talking to himself? He is looking at himself, and he's Hey, David, well, I'm David. Hey, soul, why are you so cast down? And that's the dialogue that he's having with himself. Sometimes you have to recognize where you're at and talk to yourself exactly where you are and call yourself out. You wimpy crybaby complainer, it's time to shut up and start putting the word of God in your mouth and speaking out his promises. We all know the world stinks, dummy. But God's called us to be a fragrance, an aroma of the heavens. And as long as your mouth is filled with, you're going to smell like, but I command you to start speaking the promises of God, to declare the promises of God. So you might need to get up in the morning and start your day off right. (laughs) This is crazy. I do this a lot. Lord, good morning. I am a man of God. One of the first things I'll say over myself, you know why? Because I need to remind myself. I don't wake up in the morning feeling like a man of God. I don't wake up feeling loved by God. I don't feel like God's going to use me today. I don't feel like I'm going to win anything. I feel like I'm going to go to the gym and there's going to be have been a bunch of teenagers broken my planking record, even though I'm an icon. <laughs> I'm glad to be the wind beneath your wings. All of you people out there, come after the 55-year-old guy and let that be, oh, I crushed a 55-year-old guy. How old are you? I'm 15. Yeah, that's right. I showed that man. (laughs) What you don't know is that man wasn't even trying when he set that record. Wait till Friday. (laughs) Some good healthy competition in this place. Shoot, I will plank on one leg and one hand, okay? Anyways. Oh, man. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Let me give you the next verse. I haven't even got to any of my points. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I mean, David is telling himself this. Oh, man, right now I'm afraid. You afraid right now? Okay, let's put our trust in God. How do you put your trust? How do you decide to trust God? With your lips. You declare it and you create the... the, the, um, The bow of the ship goes and breaks the water and you're able to follow. Lord, I'm going to step in there and I'm going to get this job. I'm trusting you're going to help me. Not, I'm going to go in there and give it a shot, but they probably don't want me. Well, when you walk in there with that declaration, it's all over you. And the guy's trying to hire somebody, but everything everything about your countenance is, I'm a loser. They don't want me. And you don't realize that it affects your Review, but it's because you're wearing the garment, not of success, but you've intentionally put on, I'm a loser garment. Nobody wants to hire that. You, that doesn't belong on you. That's not yours. When Jesus died for you, he said, I'm dying for you so that you can win. 
And you might not get every job, but he's got a job that's good for you where you'll thrive and flourish. God, I'm out looking today for my job. I want to go get the job that God's got for me. And if they close the door on this one, that's okay. It just narrows it down to the one that's for me. Oh, ain't nobody going to ever give me a job. Get that off of you. You declare, I will put my trust in you, God. Amen. I don't have time to give you any more. I'm going to just fast forward to the very end. There's a lot more to go. Why don't you stand with me? Is this helpful for you? I hope. Remember, this is out loud and it's verbal. That you have to sometimes inform yourself of what God says about you. Again, in the morning time, I'm a, I'm the best husband that Rowena is ever going to have. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, it is. And I am going to be the best husband that Rowena has ever had because the ones she's had for 35 years needs to improve. But today is the day I'll improve some more. Amen? And so you speak that over, you speak the promises of God over your life. He's not declared for you failure. He's not declared for you loss. He's not declared for you. I'm not saying that there won't be difficult days, but you know that he's for you. So you have to remind yourself that. I just want to read this final verse to you, and then we're going to go ahead and pray. Um, in this verse, it's pretty fascinating. Um, it gives you the idea just right off the bat that um, there's a conflict with words that people are experiencing. It says in the book of Jude, only one chapter there, so it's verse number 18, it says, they, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers. What's a scoffer? A scoffer is somebody who opposes you verbally. I can say... Not just you. Are you okay? <laughs> Love Alana. Um, it's somebody who's mocking you, pushing back on you with their words. They're just fighting you constantly. It's the voices ra rattling around your head. It says, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly desires. It is these who cause divisions. Those voices are trying to divide you. They're trying to divide you from God. They're trying to divide you from God's purposes for your life. Trying to keep you from becoming the person God intends you to be. From experiencing the things that God wants you to experience. Those scoffers are to divide you from the, the, the best life that God has sent his son for. It goes on to say, they cause divisions, these worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. It's the exact same phrase, means the exact same thing as David encouraged himself in the Lord. Building yourself up in the most holy faith, our faith is in God, but our faith, faith is anchored in whatever God says. And the most holy faith, part of it is what has God said about you? And when there are scoffers who would come against you and their lies are rattling around your head, whether it's a tangible person or it's a circumstance or it's just the residue of trauma telling you, listen, you're never going to win. You're never going to make it through. You're always going to be sick. You're always going to struggle with this problem. You're never going to overcome this addiction. You're never going to work beyond this internal turmoil. You're never going to overcome anxiety. Those are scoffing words meant to divide you from what God has for you. And in those moments, if you want to win, it's build yourself up in the most holy faith. What has God said? What has God declared? You know that Jesus died, one of the reasons he died was so that you could overcome anxiety? 
Because when you give him your life, your future's locked in. You don't have to worry about it. He's got you. Dad's got this. I'm not saying there won't be some challenges, but he does have this. And so he helps you to conquer anxiety because what? He's got your whole life in his hands. He's promised he's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You have to work. You have to participate. But you don't have to worry about it anymore. He's got it. Amen? I want you in your mind, your heart right now, what's the loudest lie that's been opposing you? What is the loudest lie in this season that's opposing you? What is the loudest lie that you've been dealing with? It is not the voice of God. It is the wicked one. It is the enemy. You might have used people, circumstances, whatever it is. What is the thing that is constantly pushing you down, saying it's going to stone you? It's time for you to do some talking. Whatever that is, it's time to start talking back to that thing. Talking out loud to inform it, to inform your circumstance, to remind yourself, maybe remind the people in your world, but it's time to start declaring what God's word says about that thing. Unopposed, that voice will set you in motion to follow its will. But opposed, you will correct it and you will adjust your trajectory and you will pursue the thing that God says. Unopposed, you'll just follow it like a puppy after a treat. It's time for you to start speaking to the lie. Are you, am, I, am I coming through? Are you hearing me loud and clear? It's time. So let, let's pray, okay? You pray. You pray out loud. That's why we pray out loud. God already knows what you're going to say. Your situation needs to hear it. Your spouse needs to hear it. Your per- person in your world needs to hear it. The storm needs to hear it. Needs to hear your words. David encouraged himself. It was out loud to inform his buddies heard him praying and they were moved by it. They got behind him and they went and fought battle and got their stuff back. You know why? Because he encouraged himself in the Lord and they got encouraged hearing him get encouraged in the Lord. Amen? So come on, pray with me. Father, I thank you that you have good things for me. I hear the voice. I hear the voices. I see the voices at work in friends' lives. God, I pray over the people in this room. Father, they battle circumstances and situations and depressions and physical ailments. They fight unbelief. They fight, they battle through financial pressures. They've got people at work who work against them. Not for, for far beyond reasons that they even understand, Lord, there's an enemy at work to keep us all from the good things that you have. Jesus, I thank you that you came to this earth, not just so that our sin would be forgiven, but so that we could experience abundant life. It's not enough for us just to be forgiven. God, you have said, I want you to live and live well and experience abundant living. And therefore, we have to step out from the voice of the wicked one who led us to the spot that we're in and begin to believe the voice of God. So, Father, I speak to the lies that would come against your people. Train their hands for war. Train them for battle. They can press through and win against the enemy. Father, you've equipped us that way. We are warriors. We are winning. We are going to win. Help us to stand up. Help us to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. It's trusting what you've said. God, what you say is true, and what others would say that doesn't align with what you've said, it is a lie. We cast off lies. We cast off the scoffers. I choose to believe God. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen.
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com. Thank you.